with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, morning, afternoon. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles right here on Tojinet. I am Ron Kolick, your gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And believe it or not, I am all by myself tonight. Uh, we had Joseph Citros lined up. A Citro lined up uh, is a, a gentleman that uh, has been around in the paranormal for years and years. In fact, when I first got involved in some of his uh, books, uh, were in first ones in my collection, like Passing Strange Tales of New England's Hauntings and Horrors and Curious New England, The Unconventional Travis Guide to Eccentric Destinations. Like two great books, but he's got a whole ton of them. So anyways, we are without him. So you have me for a hour by myself, so this should be fun. Of course, my screen just went crazy on the uh, thing. Anyways, I have been away for a while. Uh, last week, as you may or may not know, uh, we lost internet uh, totally for Comcast. Your rotten hell uh, cut me off. But anyways, so I'm going to talk about uh, ghosts because it's Ghost Chronicles. And why not talk about the 10 most gruesome deaths that have been attributed to ghosts. So, you know, we see lots of ghost things, but I had never heard of ghosts actually killing someone. So I'm not sure that these are actually people who've been killed by ghosts, but rather deaths that were attributed to ghosts. One of the best known and best documented deaths was that of uh, a specter that is called the Hammersmith ghost. In the early years of the 19th century, West London's Hammersmith district was full of rumors about a terrifying apparition that was haunting one of the area's graveyards. Local people reported seeing a figure in white. It's always a figure in white. Oh, wait a minute, this is kind of cool though. Sporting a glass eye and horns who would emerge suddenly from the spooky shadows, wailing, moaning, and withering before a passerby. After a pregnant woman claimed to have been attacked physically and a wagon driver abandoned his passengers and Haas in fear of the sight of the spectra, news spread that the ghost may have been that of a man who had recently killed himself before buried in the church's consecrated ground. Now, if you don't know, um, in, uh, especially in, in the Catholic religion, but in other religions, especially the Christian religions, if you uh, uh, commit suicide, then you supposedly can't be buried in a, uh, a consecrated ground, which is what cemeteries have. A lot of people don't realize that. You know, they, they go ghost hunting in cemeteries and so forth. But uh, most of your Christian ones are concentrated ground, which means the ground has been uh, blessed. And uh, so... That's why they can't be buried in it. Anyways, uh, 
So reports were taken so seriously that armed patrols were sent out to arrest the ghost. That would be interesting. Uh, it wasn't long before one of their number, an excise, excise officer by the name of Smith, encountered it in person. After demanding to know the identity of the apparition and receiving no response, he did what all good exercise officers did. He fired his gun, fearing that he would become the next victim. So let's see, ghosts can pass through walls, so a bullet, well, just pass right through him. Unfortunately, it was no ghost that lay dead in the graveyard. Instead, the victim was Thomas Millwood, uh, a man wearing a plastered uh, white clothing uh, that signified his trade. Oh, he was a plasterer, and he was wearing all white. The murder of that trial that ensued was one of the most unusual in history. Uh, Smith eventually be, uh, being sentenced to death, although this was lady later commuted to hard labor, thanks to the royal pardon. Uh, however, Thomas Millward's spirit didn't rest easy. The day after he was killed, his body was brought to the Black Lion public house and to this day, it is believed that he still haunts the premise, whispering in patron's ear, banging on the walls, and making large footsteps over the bar area. Thomas Millwood may have truly become the Hammersmith ghost after all. So they reported seeing this ghost. Uh, they sent out armed patrols after a pregnant woman claimed that she was attacked by it in a wagon by driver abandoned his horse and passengers, and they confronted what they thought was the ghost, uh, and the guy shot it, but it turned out to be a plasterer instead. And now his body was taken to the uh, pub, the Black Lion public house, uh, and believed that he still hunts that today. So he became the ghost. So here's one. I really didn't think of it as a, a ghost, but uh, they have it in this list. Uh, this list, by the way, is, uh, what are we on? Uh, Libris.com. Uh, uh, the Curse of King Tut. So we all know King Tut. During the early 1920s, the pharaoh Tutum Commons tomb was discovered in the Valley of the Kings, an ancient Egyptian burial site dating back to the 16th century B.C. The virtually undisturbed tomb was discovered by Howard Carter, a British archaeologist, uh, together with the fifth Earl of Carnarvon. Uh, the amazing hall uh, would become a worldwide media sensation. In fact, this is still a sensation today. Uh, the exhibits uh, go around uh, the world, and, and uh, you know there, there are in other places, but uh, it's an amazing story. In fact, in Boston, we just had uh, the virtual... Uh, King Tut thing at the uh, uh, the what's that power station, uh, which is a converted power station. That's it's kind of an exhibit hall now, but uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, very popular, and we all know the story. Uh, the Mason Hall would become a, a worldwide media sensation. However, the press also seized on stories which said a curse would fall onto anyone 
who desecrated the Pharaoh's tomb. Shortly after, Lord Carnivore uh, himself met an untimely death in Cairo. Arthur Conning Doyle, famed uh, Sherlock Holmes created, fueled the fires of the room up by telling the press that he was an evil spirit which had been summoned by the ancient priests uh, to protect their pharaoh, uh, which could have killed Kemmerer. So uh, Arthur Conan Doyle said that uh, he was killed by uh, a uh, evil spirit. Uh, by the way, uh, the Lord, you might know that his, he actually comes from uh, the... Uh, uh, oh, Downton Abbey. If you know Downton Abbey, that the building is was his home. Uh, supposedly, too, by when he died in Egypt, uh, his dog died at the same time in uh, England as well. So, interesting thing. While speculation, while all the speculation may have been diminished over time, the following years saw a string of deaths of numerous people who have been part of the team which had covered the tomb. Uh, who had been involved in it in some way. Among the deaths uh, include Arthur Mace, a member of the excavation team who was killed by arsenic in 1928. Ghost arsenic? I don't know. Um, Richard Bethel, Howard Carter's secretary, who allegedly smothered to death in his sleep in 1929. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, who was responsible for x-raying the Farrell's mummy, and uh, was a, a uh, victim of mysterious death in 1924. So, uh, you know, they're blaming it on an evil spirit. Now, I just thought it was a curse. Uh, there, there is other uh, deaths connected to this as well. But I, I never thought of that as a ghost. But I guess it's uh, Sir Arthur Corner Doyle's doing, claiming that it was an evil spirit. Now, the next one on our list is the... Um, Alcatraz Hole Ghost. Alcatraz is widely to believe one of the most haunted spots in the United States. I, I did hear of this one before. But no part of the notorious island prison has been linked to more terrifying tales of ghosts than the cells in D Block. A portion of D Block is known as the hole. The hole is the coldest part of the prison, and its cells were used as solitary confinement. The cells featured only a sink, a toilet, and a dim light bulb controlled by the guards. Inmates slept on mattresses that were taken away during the daytime. No reading material was allowed, leaving inmates with nothing other than their crushing boredom. That would kind of stink. Uh, you know, unless you have a good imagination, that's, I don't know, nothing to do. Not even cable. Anyways... The final uh, cell in the hole was called the Oriental, and it was essentially a steel sensory deprivation chamber with only a hole in the bottom for waste. Uh, during the 1940s, there was many reports of a ghostly man wearing a 19th century prison clothing patrolling the hole. However, the apparition may have been responsible for a suspicious death of a prisoner. Shortly after being locked up in the whole cell, an inmate began screaming that there was someone with him with glowing eyes trapped with him in the cell. The guards ignored him as he screamed into the night before there was an eerie silence. The next day, the guards discovered that the convict 
had been strangled to death and the handprints on his throats were livid and fresh. Well, some say that one of the guards finally snapped and took the ultimate step to stop the man screaming. A thorough investigation into the matter turned up no evidence. Did a 19th century prisoner who wandered the jail's corridor commit the ghastly crime? I'd actually heard of that one before. Uh, yeah, he was in the thing. He was screaming that there was someone in there. And anyway. Okay. Uh, next one. We go to my favorite uh, Thailand, uh, the Thai Widow Ghost. And this is number seven on the list. In 2013, villages living in Tambong, Ta Swag in Thailand were terrorized by a ghost of a widow who was believed to have killed 10 men in the space of a single month. All of the men had died under mysterious circumstances, some while sleeping and others apparently dropping dead while walking around. All had been declared by doctors that they had died of respiratory failure. You know, that's that's the interesting thing, because. Uh, Especially in the in the early, this is a, a newer case, but in the early thing, if they didn't uh, know what you died of, they would just uh, mock it off to something or other. So they weren't really, you know, careful, which is why there were a lot of, uh, you know, science wasn't great back then. If you, you think about all the premature burials there were and everything else. And uh, so, but anyways, uh, since none of the men had shown any signs of being ill, the villages hired a spirit medium. Here we go. Who blamed the widow ghost for their deaths? The medium then recommended that each resident hang a red shirt outside their house so that the spirit would be repelled, especially those who had a single son, since they were most at risk by a ghostly visit. Well, she only went after the boys. Um, well, that may have been the end of this inexplicable deaths in Tambo Thai in 2018. Uh, in 2018, a different Thai district was being terrorized by the same way. Was it the same ghost? You know, this is kind of interesting because um, I had gone to the bank and I was getting a new uh, card, you know, to get you get into your ATM and all this stuff. And I was speaking to the young lady there who was, uh, I believe she was Cambodian. I don't think she was Thai, but... Uh, she was one of, from uh, that e region of the uh, continent. And uh, she was telling me that, uh, you know, because I asked them, they, she knew what I did and everything. That it always comes up in conversation. They always have lots of questions and stuff. So I wanted to find out about, because uh, she was Buddhist and their religion and so forth. And she told me that her mother, um, after her father died, her father came back for her mother and wanted to take her into the afterlife so that he wouldn't be alone. So she went out and actually joined a monastery, a Buddhist monastery, and became a uh, monk uh, to protect herself from the spirit of her late husband. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of intriguing. And, and, you know, this is a fairly intelligent woman, and she's very happy to tell me this story. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of good stories out there. You know, it's amazing how many stories that if you strike up a conversation with someone 
And, you know, you don't get pushy or anything like, you know, you believe in ghosts or whatever. There are ways of doing it. And uh, people will tell you their stories. I remember when I sat on the um, Harvard Pilgrim Appeals Board, uh, I sat with the top enchilant of Harvard Pilgrim, uh, including, the, you know, the directors, the, uh, the head, head of the internal medicine, cardiology, sociology, psychology, lawyers, the whole, the whole beal, spiel. And uh, we'd have these monthly meetings and basically we'd, we would decide cases uh, that would be an appeal. Uh, you know, for payment and so forth. So um, they would send the, us the case files and we would study them. And so we, we'd go in and we'd have this big discussion and then, you know, we, we'd be voted on and, and so forth. But anyways, they all knew that uh, I was a ghost hunter, a paranormal investigator. And uh, they, <laughs> they always asked me to come to the meetings early. Uh, we ended up going later because they always wanted to hear what I was up to. But the, the important part about it and the coolest part about it is they also had their own stories, uh, which was always intriguing. I remember one, uh, this gentleman, I think he was a uh, psychologist or a sociologist, no, psychologist. And uh, he had a home in uh, Haverhill, actually. And he uh, was in his house with his family. And uh, it was uh, Christmas. And all of a sudden, they heard a, a noise at the front door, and then they heard a big, like the door was opening, and then they heard a thud. And they went, and he, he went and he investigated, but the, the door wasn't open, there was nobody there. Um, so he didn't think anything about it. But the following Christmas, they were in the living room again, and he was sitting there, and once again, he heard a noise at the door, sound like the door opening and then a big flood. And so it happened, uh, you know, two things in a row. So he thought that was kind of peculiar because it was the same. It was like a different. It was the exact same that he remembered from the year before. So anyways, he had uh, been speaking with one of the neighbors and uh, I don't know how the conversation came up, but the neighbor told him that there used to be a, a man that lived in the house before he did. And he was rather a portly man. And uh, when he died, uh, they had to come in and, 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 of course, take the body out. And they came down the stairs right by the front door. And they opened the front door. And when they tried to get him through the door, he was so big, he wouldn't fit through the door. So they turned the um, the little uh, thing they carried on, I think what they call it. And he fell out of the uh, thing into the floor and laid a thud. So that was what he summarized. He summarized that, that what he heard was that man's at that moment when they dropped his body in the front door. So you believe it or not, he did. That's, you know, pretty educated, well-educated man. Anyways, moving on to, let's see how much time we got here. Okay, we're all set. Uh, number six, uh, Kyle Pruitt's Cursed Grave. You might ask, who the hell is Kyle Pruitt? If you don't ask, I will. The story goes back to Kentucky in 1938, when a man named Kyle Pruitt came home one day to find his wife in the arms of another man. Oh, geez, that's not going to end well. In a wild fury, he strangled her to death with a chain. Ooh, 
before killing himself immediately after. The other man fled. Now, this is a brave, big, brave dude for you. Uh, after Pruitt was buried, visitors to his grave noticed a discoloration starting to appear on his tombstone. It looked eerily similar to a chain. Remember, he killed his wife with the chain, strangled her. Before long, a boy trying to impress his friends chipped the tombstone by throwing a rock at it. Immediately thereafter, he fell victim to a freak accident that claimed his life. His bicycle, you guessed it, chain, somehow came off and strangled him as he rode home. The mother of the boy, naturally devastated, decided to vent her anger on the gravestone, hitting it repeatedly with an axe. The following day, she too became a victim to Pruitt's grave curse. She was found strangled by her own clothesline, which had inexplicably wrapped around her neck as she was hanging the laundry. Okay, that's freaky. Not long after that, there was another incident which cemented the grave's reputation as being cursed. A farmer fired a gun at the tombstone while passing the graveyard in his wagon. Uh, it's the next part of town. Just go shooting the gravestones, uh, whatever. The horse sped up, frightening by the gunshot, and the farmer was thrown out of the wagon. As he fell, you guessed it, one of the reins wrapped around his neck and strangled him. By now, the number of strangulations linked to the grave was looking more and more uh, non-coincidental. But that didn't stop two policemen from attempting fate by trying to take photos of themselves at the gravestone. When they drove away from the cemetery, they noticed that they were being followed by a bright light. As they sped away, the vehicle crashed into a fence and one of the policemen died, his head almost entirely severed by the chain that hung between the fence posts. So evidently it's one of those, um, you know, they have the post and then they have the chain between them. For years, people uh, avoided the, the cemetery, uh, terrified of meeting the hideous death. But in the 1940s, one man decided that he would take a risk of attacking, uh, take the risk and attack the tombstone with a hammer. Man, there's a lot of love going on in that place. He uh, was later found dead by the cemetery gates. How did he die? Want to get? You guessed it. He was strangled by the chain that locked the cemetery gates. It's no wonder that shortly afterwards the cemetery was stripped and the tombstone was removed permanently. Wow. That is actually pretty interesting. I got to find out more about that one. That's that's really intriguing. But anyways. All right, so I'm not sure which time, how much time we have left, but we'll uh, we'll go with it. All right, so moving on. Number five, the aged laborer. That's kind of a weird title. Anyway, uh, in the 19th century, England, coroners and juries relied on the evidence of witnesses in court to determine the causes of Depth. Okay, we start. Okay, with three minutes. Sorry, thank you. Um, sorry about that. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So in 19th century England, coroners and their juries relied on the evidence of witnesses in court to determine the cause of death in cases. 
where the deceased was believed to have died of unnatural causes. In Bristol in 1841, an inquest was held into the death of Patrick Hayes, an aged laborer who had fallen down the stairs and died. His wife, uh, the wife of the landlord of the inn which he had died in, uh, Mary Crocker, gave testimony that she had heard the sound of the deceased as he fell down the stairs. She shouted out, asking who had fallen, and the, rep and the reply in the deceased's voice was, it is me, I am dead. In her questioning, under oath, Mary Crocker informed the coroner that the man had clearly seen in the house was the resident's ghost, a, a lady wearing a silk gown who had already killed two or three of the former lodgers, scaring them to death. So this guy actually got scared to death by the ghost. So he fell down the stairs and I'm sure alcohol was involved, but I could be wrong. Anyways, we are coming up onto the break, so I'm going to stop it here. Uh, you have been listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with me, Rod. And uh, we are brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very, very, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Now, if you're not a member of Ghost Chronicles Radio and Patreon, you ought to join. There's over 40 videos out there exclusive to our Patreon listeners, including the Curse Doll. That's the latest one, uh, as well as uh, some oh, video footage that I just put up today of a strange happenings at a uh, store in uh, New Hampshire, uh, kind of of the ghostly ways. So check that out and become a member. It's $3 a month. Uh, you have exclusive access access to all of those. In fact, Ghost Chronicles, the magazine is on it as well. Anyways, we do have to take a break. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles on Tojanet, and we'll be right back after the following messages. a paranormal event book or something else you want people to know about then why not advertise it on ghost chronicles radio with over 150,000 downloads a month get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject we have a plan at a cost that fits your needs for more information contact ron kolick at any ghost project at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678 hello Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing. Although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. 
The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, Mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And we are back, we meeting me, myself and I, uh, Ron Kolick, right here on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation on Tojanet Radio. Uh, I'm flying solo today. We had a problem with our guest, Joseph Citro, who I really was looking forward to having on the show, but uh, unfortunately wasn't able to work out his technical difficulties on his end. Anyways, so we're looking on the first half of the show, we were looking at uh, deaths attributed to ghosts. So we're up to, uh, we've gone through six, and this is number four on the list. Campbell Lane Ghost. Uh, In the mid-1800s in South Yorkshire, UK, a woman named Hannah Rollison was officially recorded as having he died from fright. Rollison and her husband, both Mormons, uh, had recently moved into new rooms in Shetfield and had been introduced to a woman named Harriet Ward. One day, Harriet had been going down into the cellar of the Rollison's home when she heard a scream and claimed to have seen a ghost of a ghost of a terrifying, blood-stained old woman. Harriet didn't just see the apparition once. In fact, it appeared to her on five separate occasions over a 24-hour period that followed both while she was asleep and awake. So while she was sleeping and awake, the ghost appeared five different times. The Mormon congregation became obsessed with the Campo Lane ghost, as it had become known, and collectively decided that it must have been the victim of a murderer who had been buried under the cellar floor. It was decided to take away the flagstone and find out what was buried beneath. As the night night wore on, a large group gathered to observe the proceedings, and it was decided to cover the cellar's window to stop the crowd from looking in. Hannah Rawlson went down to the cellar with a blind, and what she saw on the cellar steps caused her with a blind. I wonder what a blind is. Uh, whatever. Uh, she went down to the cellar, and what she saw on the cellar steps caused her to fall into a deep faint. It was reported in a local newspaper that she had seen the woman in white who had rushed at her before vanishing. Hannah was taken to another room on the first floor where her friends tried to revive her. As she briefly gained consciousness, she announced that she could still see the ghost, complete with gashes around the neck and a blood-stained nightgown. Apparently, 
the ghost, I guess she talked to her, the ghost had told her it was Elizabeth Johnson, a restless soul who had been murdered by William Dawson, her nephew, over a century ago. The late Mrs. Johnson, who had told her that she had to leave the house as it mocked, uh, as it was mocked with her blood, despite being fit and healthy and strong, Hannah Rollins died the next day. Her death certificate officially recorded the death as sudden death and a fit belief that to have seen what, what? A sudden death and a fit believed to have been brought on by fright. Okay. So she was scared to death. Okay, this is one that uh, we actually had up at Spirit Quest. Uh, uh, Steve Parson did this one uh, several years ago, and he is number three on our list, and he is Spring-Heeled Jack Case. And this is a, an intriguing case, actually. Uh, another tragic tale of the 19th century uh, is that of Jane Halsall, a seven-year-old girl from Lanchester, England, who allegedly died in the hands of a spectre known as Spring-Heeled Jack. Stories of an apparition named Spring-Heeled Jack had been circling for several decades before the unfortunate death of Jane Hassel. And the fear of this terrifying character had not abated over the years. When Jane returned home one spring day, saying that her playmates wa had warned her that Spring-Heeled Spring Jack was on his way to her hometown, her parents tried to allay her fears. However, that very night, Jane fell seriously ill and was unconscious by the time the doctors arrived. Just six hours before her untimely death, she is quoted as saying, the ghost is coming. The coroner concluded that she had died of fright and laid the blame on Spring-Heeled Jack, or rather the man believed was impersonating the evil spirit. The coroner's court jury found Jack guilty of the death of the little girl and ugly meaning that the ghost had been tried and found guilty uh, in a court of law. So they put the ghost on on trial. Uh, it's an interesting case, actually. I, I think uh, I think in Houdini and Doyle, that, that series that both Steve and I had liked, uh, it was on, uh, I believe it was Fox, uh, a few years back. It was uh, you know, Houdini, Harry Houdini and throughout the corner Doyle and they investigated strange cases, sort of like the X-Files of old, but it was cool. It was actually a good thing. And I think they might've done something similar to that, but anyway. All right. So we're now down to number two. Uh, wonderful. This is a good one. Good meaning. I can't pronounce the freaking name. The Hinter Car Effect Farm Murders. God bless us. No, that's why. With, <clears throat> with its people, peaceful barbarian surroundings, the Hinter Koflak farm seemed to be an unlikely spot for one of the 20th century's most puzzling murders. However, in 1922, this homestead was the setting of a case that would baffle German police and never be solved. The Gruber family, 
who lived there were social outcasts, with the husband being a notorious white beater who had an incestuous relationship with their daughter. A nice guy. Uh, nevertheless, the events which ensued on the Gruber farm shocked the local community. Late in 1921, the Gruber's maid, Maria, reported hearing the disembodied footsteps and voices around the house. She left her position abruptly, afraid the farm was haunted. Six months after Maria's departure, the father, Andreas, saw footprints in the deep snow surrounding the house leading into the woods from the farm. There were no footprints uh, there were no footprints to show a return journey, so they had just came, uh, but they didn't. Andreas carried out an immediate search, but found no one. That night, Andreas, too, heard the strange noises in the attic. Again, he found nothing, and no one was hiding. Events took even a stranger turn after that. The next morning, an unfamiliar newspaper was lying on the porch. A few days later, one of the house keys disappeared. Andreas saw scratches on tool shed door as if someone had been trying to pick the lock. Some days later, townspeople began to wonder where the Grubers had gone to. They went to the farm to check on the family and made the, the grisly discovery in the barn. The bleeding bodies of all four members of the family were all stacked one on top of the other and covered up with hay. In the house, the rest of the family uh, and the replacement maid were found dead. Although there were no signs of strangulation, the instrument believed to have caused the deaths was a pickaxe. <clears throat> There were a bunch of complicating factors, too. Every one of the bodies had been covered up in one way or another. While their date of death was found to be March 31st, neighbors said they had seen smoke on the farm's chimney after that date. <coughs> Excuse me. There was no evidence in the house of meals having been recently eating, a bed had been slept in, and the farmer's animals had been fed. Hmm. Oh, wait a minute. There was evidence of uh, recently eight meals, so somebody was there. There was no evidence of any theft, jewelry, coins, or whatever. Everything remained untouched in the home. There was a vengeful, vengeful spirit that killed the uh, Grubers. Or was it a grisly home invasion? Whatever the truth, the matter is the police have never solved, and the jury is still out in what it is. So I, I wonder what the total count was. I know there were four in the bond, and the rest of the family, they didn't really say. So, uh, yeah, pretty gross. Okay, moving on. Number one, the Jameson family. In 2009, this is recent now, the Jameson family disappeared, apparently, off the face of the earth. Their bodies weren't found for another four years later when the skeletons of remains were discovered lying face down in the woods close to where their abandoned truck had been found in 2009. Before their disappearance, the Jameson family had told anyone who would listen that ghosts were haunting them 
and that uh, Madison, their six-year-old daughter, was a regular had a regular conversation with a ghostly girl who had met their her death in the house decades ago. The day the family disappeared, security camera footage shows them packing their vehicle uh, almost as if they were on some kind of trance. No cause of death was determined, and there has been suggestions that family members who were possessed by a ghost um, that inhabited the home. Since the bodies were severely decomposed, there was no way of telling what killed the Jamesons. Uh, so the speculation ran wild. Of course it would. There were just 10 documented deaths uh, linked to ghosts. While the truth is surrounded in mystery, we all know that these people died under bizarre, bizarre, bizarre circumstances. But who knows what really happened? Well, they said 10, but, uh, you know, it looks like 10 incidences, not really 10 documented deaths, because I don't know how many in that family we, we talked about before, and plus this family here, plus the number of people from uh, the uh, curse of uh, King Tut's. And so, anyways, that's uh, what I have of... Uh, of uh, ghostly deaths, ghost tribute. I mean, I know there was a recent one, uh, but it really wasn't a ghostly death, I guess, because um, there was a ghost hunting group, I believe it was down south. They went to uh, uh, investigate a ghostly locomotive. They were out in the bridge, and some gentleman got run over by a real, real locomotive. So anyways, continuing on the uh, ghostly deaths, uh, we're looking at some of the other ones, too. Uh, things associated with death. Uh, or do we want to do ghostly deaths or more? more of those? I don't know. Some of these are so bizarre. I just, all right, we'll do it. Fine. Okay. Uh, here we go. Ten truly bizarre deaths. The Dantonist. The Dantonist was an early uh, Christian heretical movement that was named after Dantus Magnus, Bishop of Carthage in AD 313. The Dantonists believed that the church should be the church of saints and not sinners. This view led to huge numbers of followers to seek out martyrdom, and, uh, either by suicide or by asking strangers to kill them. Uh, they were such a widespread belief that uh, it's surprising that they were survived at all, albeit they were a very small sect until the 7th or 18th century. So they lasted from 313 AD, so 313 to the 18th century, uh, where they would kill themselves. That's How the hell do you get recruited in that? Uh, you want to join my group? Because we're going to get you're gonna, we're going to kill you? Anyway. Amustazim. In uh, 1258, Hugalu uh, Khan, the grandson of Genghis Khan, invaded Abbasid region, uh, comprising of modern-day Iraq and Syria. Al-Mustafin, 
the Kali uh, raised uh, no repelling army and consequently fell into the hands of Khan. Being a relatively decent man, needed to execute him, but didn't want to spill royal blood. Khan came up with a brilliant idea. He had Alamastar rolled into a rug and ordered his men to trample him to death with their horses. Such compassion was not shown to Alamusa's son. Most were summarily executed. I don't know what rolled up into the rug and then trampled death. I don't know about that. I don't think I'd like that at all. Anyways, our next bizarre death, Clement Bangla Higlum. God almighty. Bangla Dig Higgum was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He suffered not just a bizarre death, but an ironic one as well. While working as a lawyer, Bangla, oh yeah, this is actually a pretty good one. Uh, while working as a lawyer, Bangla Hanglum uh, needed to prove his client, uh, who was on trial for murder, had ac- accidentally shot the victim uh, when taking the gun out of his pocket. To prove that possibility, Bangham would put the gun in his pocket and drew it. The gun fired off, and just as predicted, uh, but unfortunately for him, it killed him. The client was acquitted. So this man was uh, arrested for uh, murder, and he supposedly t- shot another man. But ben, his lawyer, uh, Clement, decided that uh, he didn't really shoot him, that the man actually shot himself when he pulled the gun out of his uh, pants. And guess what? He did. Alexander I of Greece, while wake, walking in, in his royal gardens, King Alexander I of Greece was bitten by two monkeys. He contracted sepsis and died three weeks later. His death had a serious impact on Greece because it restored to a pro-German uh, father and uh, disposed of Constantine's uh, deposed Constantine I to the throne. So he get bit by a monkey. Lovely. Anyway. Next one on our little list is J.G. Perry Thomas. John Godfrey Perry Thomas was a famed engineer and race car driver from Wales. In an attempt to break his own land speed record, a chain in the car's engine snapped Uh, hitting him in the head and killing him. At the time, he was traveling 170 miles an hour. I don't think they even had seatbelts back then. Tennessee Williams, we all know him. He's an author. I wrote a lot of plays in the U.S. Tennessee Williams, uh, the author of some of the greatest plays in the U.S. history, died by choking on the lid of an eyedropper bottle. He took the uh, eyedrops uh, regularly and would open the bottle with his teeth. While holding the lid in his mouth, he tilted his head back to administer the drops. He'd accidentally swallowed the lid and died. <sighs> Go try that at home now. So if you take the lid off, don't put it in your mouth, put it on the counter. Gary Hoy. Gary Hoy was a lawyer who worked at the 24th floor in the Toronto Dominion Center. Hoy insisted that the Glass windows in his office were unbreakable. To prove it, he threw himself full force. As the windows were not unbreakable, he was hurled to his death 24 floors below. In his effort, he was awarded the Darwin Award in 19, 
96. 24 floors. I think there would be a better way of uh, testing that rather than throwing yourself against the freaking windows. But what do I know? Alan Pinkerton. Alan Pinkerton was a spy and a detective uh, best known for creating the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, the first of its kind in the United States. In 1884, he slipped on a pavement and bit his own tongue. His tongue became infected and within two weeks caused him to die of gangrene uh, as he refused treatment for it. Uh, uh. Frank Hayes. Frank Hayes was well known for the honor of being the only man to win a horse race while he was dead. In the middle of the race, he suffered a fatal heart attack. Despite carrying dead weight, the horse, sweet kiss, ran on to win the race. Well, I guess he was dead right. You know, it's, it's, uh, I used to love the, the horse races. Um, we had Rockingham track up in, in uh, Salem, New Hampshire here. And my wife and I, we'd go on a Friday night. Uh, we'd go have dinner in the clubhouse and then go and, I bet all the horses in the 10 races. And we would, uh, I remember betting on one horse one time, and it, it was doing pretty good, and it went around the final turn, and it died. Just rolled over and died. Yep. Didn't win that time. I felt bad for the horse. However, I, I, there was one time I did go get to go in the uh, winner's circle, though, so that was kind of cool with the horse and everything. You, you know, they, they bring the winning horse in, and they have the owners and everything else. That was kind of cool. Anyone... And the last one I'm going to give you is the Mithra Dates. Mithra Dates was a Persian soldier who accidentally killed Cyrus, the youngest son of Darius II of Persia. For such a blunder, he was put to death by scapulism. Here is the ancient account of the grueling 17-day death. The king decreed that medicines should be put to death in boats, which, uh, which execution is made in the following manner. Two boats framed exactly to fit and answer each other. They lay down one, wait a minute, one of them, the malefactor that suffers upon his back then covering it with the other so uh, they are seen setting together with the head, hands, and feet and shoulders. Near the rest of the body lies shut beneath uh, shut up, shut beneath. They offered him food, but he refused to eat it. They forced him to do it by pricking his eyes, and then after he had eaten it, they drenched him with a mixture of milk and honey pouring not only into his mouth, but all over his face. They then keep his face continually turned towards the sun, and it becomes completely covered and hidden up by a multiple of flies that had settled on it. And as within the boats, he does what, and as within the boats, he does what those that eat and drink must do, creeping things and vermin, 
uh, spring out of the corruption and rottenness of the excrement, these entering into the bowels and uh, began consuming his body. When the man uh, manifestly dead, the utmost boat was being taken off and the flesh devoured by swarms of notorious, noisomous creatures of prey upon they were growling at his inwards. In this way, Milladris suffered for 17 days. Holy crap. How the hell do you even think about something like that? I mean, that is just freaking out of your mind. 17 days. Anyway. All right. So that's pretty much a gruesome death. And I think that's pretty much all the gruesome deaths I can take for uh, one times. But anyways. So anyways, uh, I do want to mention that we do have some uh, interesting things coming up as we head down towards the end of the show. Um, I do have, uh, as, as you may or may not know, I, this past month, of course, like most people, we did a lot of uh, uh, talks with it, uh, as and so forth and everything else. But uh, while I was at one of the libraries, uh, they actually told me uh, an interesting uh story about the library and that they believed it was haunted and some of the things that were going on there. So they asked me to do an investigation. So I am going to investigate this library uh, once I and my back heals a little bit more, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, a nice library and I'm excited to investigate it uh, and excited that they asked me to do it. So anyways, uh, if, if we uh, do investigate it, we get anything, of course, it'll be all reported on our Patreon page. And uh, that's one of the things that's exclusive for our Patreon listeners. All our in, uh, investigations, uh, wherever we do, uh, we give you a little summary of what's going on. And this is only available to our Patreon's listeners. So we, we've done some of the past. Uh, and whoever's with me at the time, you know, like Leslie, if she's there, or, or Anne, or Maureen, or Jim, we'll, we'll uh, go over what we found and, uh, you know, basically reveal what we discovered. Uh, so that's only available to our Patreon. So go to Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And uh, besides that, there are other videos on a whole purpourri of uh, subjects that are available only to our Patreon listeners. And uh, in fact, the haunted doll, if you don't know about the Steve's haunted doll, that that is uh, also on the other story behind that and other things. So anyways, we've got to wrap it up. Uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation and the ranting of Ron Kolick right here on Tojinet Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Bethune, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio Patreon. Join three bucks a month, cheaper than a cup of coffee. Till next time, good night, God bless, stay safe.
from ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.